Old Testament reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel readings from the book of Mark chapter 9. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you spirit that keeps the boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, 
This kind can come out only through prayer. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's take a moment to pray. Oh God, who knows our weakness, our vulnerability, and our struggle to trust and follow, you call us into life with you. Would you meet us now as we reflect on your scriptures? Move our hearts to hear what you say and open us to change and growth that we may walk with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. At our Ash Wednesday service just a few days ago, we took time to mark the start of the Lenten season, a season of repentance and reflection during which we anticipate Good Friday and Easter. And Lent is a season of intentional reflection about our need for God, a time of seeking to identify the areas of our life where it is difficult to turn to God, where our mortality, our limitations, and vulnerabilities are are the most prominent. And during this season of Lent, our scripture and sermons will follow a theme of turning to God, turning to God in our unbelief, in our struggle, in our sorrow, in our failure, in our fear, and in our hope. There's actually no good reason, outside of the surprising good news of Easter, to give this much time and attention to topics that draw out some of our biggest questions and expose our most significant vulnerabilities. But we do this because we believe that God is really there, is actually able to meet us in the shadowy places, in our storm, in our trial, and is able to be a refuge, to lead us to life and light. Now, this is not a season of navel-gazing, but a time of considering together how we can hear the good news of God's abiding presence that sustains us and holds us, to invite each other to cling to God, even amidst our own confusion, disorientation, and malaise. Our two texts give us much to consider for today, and they introduce to us the challenge of faith and the imperfections of human efforts to trust what God has promised or the struggle to envision in faith what God could possibly do. The words of the Father in Mark's gospel ring very true for us, for many of us. I believe. Help my unbelief. Abraham and Sarah are known to many and throughout Scripture as the patriarch and matriarch of faith in God's promise. And this is how the letter to the Hebrews remembers them. They are the ones through whom God chose to establish a people, a line of descendants that will be marked by God's covenant promises. Yet, in the story we read today, we get a glimpse of what their journey with God was actually like, how they struggled to believe what God actually promised. In in the preceding chapters before our text for today, God calls Abram to leave his country and family and journey to a new land. God promises that he will make Abram a great nation and he will be a blessing, that in him all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
And Abram, in faith, at the age of 75, follows God's call and leaves his homeland. But as a famine comes on the land, he travels towards Egypt. And in Egypt, he doesn't trust God will protect him from danger. And through his own efforts to avoid danger, he ends up bringing danger upon Sarah and upon the leaders of Egypt. And after God shows Abram that he will protect him from danger, he once again promises to Abram that he will be a blessing and that through his offspring, God will carry forward his promise. The challenge is that Abram and Sarah have not been able to have a child and they are both far along in years. They do not have the ability to perceive that God would miraculously provide a child through them. And Abraham and Sarah continue to falter in belief and ultimately seek to have a child through another woman named Hagar. Maybe God will carry forward his promise through the child of another woman. God once again restates the promise he made to Abram that he will bless him and that God will make him an ancestor of a multitude of nations. And God clarifies further to say that this will take place through a child to be born from Sarah in a year's time. Now Sarah is 90 years old and Abraham is 100 years old. And when Abraham is told this, he falls on his face and laughs because he knows this is impossible. This is outside the realm of normal, of anything they have known. And yet God persists telling Abraham that this child will be born of Sarah and they will name him Isaac, which means laughter. Very telling. This is where we pick up our text in Genesis 18. Abraham has heard the promise and how God intends for it to be filled, fulfilled miraculously through Sarah. And all along the journey to this point, God has demonstrated patience with their struggle to trust and with their varied efforts to engineer ways forward that are not actually according to his plan. He continues to restate the promise and to redirect them in the way that they need to go. And as our text starts out, we see Abraham practice gracious hospitality to these visitors, and he implores them to stay, preparing for them a lavish feast. And the narrator of the story wants us to understand that these guests are important, or what is about to happen is an important thing. And as they enjoy their feast, they express curiosity about Sarah. Where is your wife, Sarah? They ask, and as Abraham tells them, they restate to Abraham what he heard from God previously, that Sarah will have a son in a year's time. Now Sarah hears this, overhears this, and she is perplexed. She laughs. She can't believe what is seen to be physically impossible. She is a woman way past her years of being able to bear a child. The text transitions at this point to be a direct voice from God and poses a question to Abraham. Why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? This question, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? It reverberates throughout the larger story of Scripture in so many ways. In the story of Abraham as it moves 
on through his descendants and through the prophets up into the time of Jesus' arrival. God ultimately does provide a child. Sarah does conceive, and Isaac is born. The snapshot of this snapshot of Abraham and Sarah's story is a paradigmatic story, the journey of life with God, God making promises and their faltering at belief. The resounding question at the foundation of it is, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And the realization that God ultimately is the one who carries forward his promise by his own faithfulness. Our faltering belief does not alter God's ultimate purpose. I don't fault them for their struggle to believe. If we are honest with ourselves, we struggle to believe in all sorts of ways in far less circumstances. I can imagine for Abraham and Sarah hearing the promise that God would provide a child while they continue to get older and older and older. That promise may have sounded more like a curse. That laughter may have been more of a reaction out of grief and loss, a reaction to the absurdity of the promise from any human vantage point. This text brings out all sorts of difficult concepts. For anyone that has struggled with infertility, you know the hope, the, the hoping, the pain of hoping and longing for a child one more month, one more year. When people come to you meaning well, try to tell you stories about other people. They know who it took so many years and surprise, they have a child now. This is not the case for everyone. Just isn't. I just want to acknowledge this is a real struggle. The unbelief of Abraham and Sarah and the confessed weakness of belief expressed by the father of Mark's gospel text both highlight situations of ongoing grief, persistent grief, where there does not seem to be a resolution in sight. And these places of residing grief and loss, they have a way of working on us. They point us to our limitations, our vulnerability, and we can feel powerless. Grief and loss has a way of constricting our view to what is possible. It reduces our capacity to imagine a future of provision, a way forward out of the, dark, out of the darkness. And for so many of us, the past two years have introduced grief and loss from many vantage points. It has had a way of working on us. There are so many stories of plans that had to change or were significantly delayed. And you may have felt this personally with the way your work has had to pivot or adjust what it even does, or with sickness that you've had to overcome, or with a pervasive sense of isolation and lost time with the people that you love. We can also think about the way we have had to transition and organize ourselves as a church, drawing from three church communities, seeking to become one new movement of a church, and all of this during pandemic. So fun. A lot of change, a lot of transition. This in and of itself can create a real sense of grief, disappointment, 
loss. But life keeps moving on. I have felt it within myself. The increasing amounts of gray hair uh, that I know are a sign of how I felt this grief over the past few years. Life does keep moving on. And there are times when your circumstance or my circumstance seems to start improving. And yet, still in the recesses of your mind and heart, you feel that grief and sense of loss hit you, surprise you. And when that happens for me, my initial reaction is, I am grieving, but I don't have time for grief. I got things to do. I need to keep moving forward. Brighter days ahead. This is what I tell myself. Some of this resilience and the need to keep moving forward, you know, some of that may be good. But I also want to acknowledge that in a significant way, if we don't deal with our grief, if we don't give it space to be processed, it will work on us. And it will have its way of constricting our view of what is possible. It will become more and more challenging to hear the words of God to Abraham. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? We will be more inclined to laugh out of a sense of disbelief and a narrowed view of what could be possible. I invite you to consider how are you processing the grief that you hold, that you may feel, the sense of loss that may be part of your story, even our collective story, the uninvited significant changes that have disrupted your sense of normal and the perception of the trajectory of your life. This Lenten season is a time for us to be curious about how grief is part of your life and that you can bring your frustrations and pain to Jesus, the one who has gone before us and has endured and can sympathize with us. It may be a time to realize you need to meet with a counselor, someone who can help you work through your own sense of loss and how to move forward. As we move towards the remainder of our time today, I want, I want to offer you two images that are prominent in the scriptures and for God's people as they perceive life with God in a world full of grief and loss and yet beauty and joy. Images that help us to identify, help us to honestly deal with our unbelief and our struggle to trust and our inability to see beyond our current moment. The first image is of a journey. In our life with God, we are on a journey. All throughout scripture, this journey motif is present. Abraham and Sarah, the people of God in the wilderness, and so many others, the prophets, the people of God in exile, Jesus. The Christian life is envisioned in many places as a journey through the world. We are pilgrims. We are awaiting a greater homeland. There's an ultimate destination we are headed to of God's promised future, of a world set right, of God's ever-present glory and where no pain or tears will continue. And yet the journey has a path that shapes us, that has all sorts of twists and turns, mountains and valleys, joys and griefs, hazards and obstacles. The journey itself requires a determined focus on the destination and on the one who is calling us towards our final destination. 
Jesus has journeyed before us and we follow after him, united to his faithfulness. As Hebrews 12, chapter 12 reminds us, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. I highlight this image of a journey because part of the challenge of unbelief and doubt is knowing how to place our story, our journey of following Jesus in the larger story of God's people and all of God's creation. As we are able to situate our stories in the larger story, we are more able to have a larger perspective for what God is doing and space to be honest about our unbelief, our weakness, our vulnerabilities, our times of bewilderment and distress. We are freed to be humble. And we can acknowledge that God ultimately is the one who carries forward his promise by his own faithfulness and power. Our faltering belief and hesitation does not alter God's ultimate purpose. He sustains us, holds us, carries us. It's God's steadfast love that ultimately keeps us. It's the faithfulness of Jesus that keeps us secure. In Romans 8, we are invited to comprehend the level at which God's faithful and attentive presence is always there, meeting us and leading us on the journey. It acknowledges the groaning and longing for a life at home in God when hopes are realized. It's in that space of waiting, of patience, of faltering hope, of weakness. It says in verses 26 and 27, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We are on a journey, and the circumstances will include times of grief, struggle, pain, but the certain confidence that those who belong to Jesus can have is that God is with us. We will never be separated from his love. God will fulfill his promise. And this leads us to our second image, the image of an extended family the size of a multitude praying together. People from all across the globe and across time praying along with you. What the letter of Hebrews calls the great cloud of witnesses. What the apostle, what the apostle Paul calls the fellowship or the communion of the saints. And this is, a, this is, a, this is an important image because it highlights that we are not alone. That our doubts, our questions, our sense of bewilderment and stress is not our own. We share it with so many others that are on the journey or have gone before us, that seek to express their need to God and that are also trying to persevere, that are working through their struggle to trust. This is, of course, what the Psalms in our Bible is about, the book of Psalms is about. And Jesus regularly took the prayers of the Psalms on his lips. At a basic level, 
Christian faith and the journey of trusting God, of believing, is a communal exercise. We link arms and we pray prayers for each other. We seek to be present to each other. And even when grief and despair hit us strong, we look to others to believe for us, to pray for us. We utilize other people's prayers in order to express what we can't yet vocalize ourselves. We are not on this journey alone. We are traveling together and we lean on each other in order to more honestly and fully express our whole selves to God. I was struck with this image while reading uh, the recent book by Tish Harrison Warren, Prayers in the Night, Prayer in the Night. And uh, it's a book I definitely recommend. Great for Lent, too. Uh, but in it, she writes this. She writes, In our deepest moments of anxiety and darkness, we enter into this craft of prayer, at times trembling and feeble. Most often, we take up prayer not out of triumphant victory or unimpeachable trust, but because prayer shapes us. It works back on us to change who we are and what we believe. Patterns of prayer draw us out of ourselves, out of our own time-bound moment, and into the long story of Christ's work in and through his people over time. Prayer is not primarily an individualistic expression, expression or an exercise in self-expression, but an opportunity to participate in a larger voice, the voice of God's people. And this is why we take up old, well-worn prayers into our worship and into our liturgy. That's why we invite you to use the Psalms as a real guide for bringing the whole of your life to God in prayer. It's a faithful guide. As Tish Harrison Warren reminds us, as we do this, these patterns of prayer draw us out of ourselves, out of our current moment, and into the longer story of Christ's work. They end up working on us, expanding our vision and perspective, leading us to places of trust and belief. The invitation is to hear the enduring faithfulness of God in the story of Abraham and Sarah, in the stories of the disciples with Jesus, in the story of the Father pleading with Jesus for his son to be healed. All of these struggled to believe, and yet God persisted with them. God's faithfulness endured. And we are on the journey of faith with God. We will have times where life's circumstances shake us and our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses are exposed in a way that challenges us to our core. We are not alone on the journey. Jesus knows our weakness and promises his presence and gives us the fellowship of his spirit and his people to lead us on. Resurrection Philadelphia. I pray God gives you space to process your own circumstance on this journey and that you would know God's persistent presence with you, his patience, his continued invitation to trust, and that you and I both would know the encouragement and support of God's people as we journey together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.